Life is full of awesome what ifs and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out of pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. Since 2013, Bombus has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and t shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombus donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombus.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombus.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. You're listening to the Celtic Soul podcast with me, Andrew Millen. Today on the show, I will be chatting to founding member of Nave Park Celtic Supporters Club, Mark Bork. Mark was also a member of the Celtic Supporters Association Executive Committee for a number of years. This episode has been sponsored by the Brother Walford Celtic Supporters Club down in Wicklow. Thanks to all the boys down there for the continued support of both the fanzine and now the podcast. If your business or Celtic Supporters Club like the podcast and would like to become a sponsor, You can email us at info at celticfanzine.com and you can also contact us through the website or message us on social media where you'll find us on Facebook, Instagram and Twitter. Before we kick off today's show, I just want to wish my long-suffering wife Sandra a happy 50th birthday. I'm sure Sandra's wish is that for me to get back to the football and get out from under her feet and get back on the road to see the Celtic. Sandra is no stranger to Celtic games, home or away. She was there in Dunfermline when Neil Lennon scored. And when the fences were rattled by disgruntled fans in Gibraltar when Brendan Rodgers' Celtic career didn't get off to the perfect start. With nothing to play for against Lille on Thursday night, I have to say I wasn't overly excited about the game until one of the boys, Niall Lynch, stuck up the starting lineup on our club's WhatsApp group. Finally, I said to myself, a chance to see some game time for these fringe players. And those fringe players have now forced their way into Lee Lennon's starting lineup plans. They did well, didn't they? Are we witnessing the changing of the guard? The old guard for the new guard. The goalkeeping position has been a bit of a concern, but Connor Hazard looked confident and commanding as he made his first team debut against the top team. He has staked the claim to start tomorrow. Duffy, Julian and Ayer. Is that the back three moving forward? Maybe. We need a defence to settle. We don't need a change week in, week out. We need consistency. Are we also looking at a new midfield? I think this midfield has to start on Sunday. McGregor may have gifted them an equaliser, but he stood up and took the penalty on towards the night. Sorrow was brilliant, tackling, breaking up play, and what an engine he has. And then young Turnbull, take a bow, outstanding going forward, always looking to receive the ball. And hats off to all the players that took to the pitch the other night. Plenty of energy, they showed no fear, and they showed a hunger that's been missing this season. A very poor European campaign closed with plenty of positives, but these positives need to be continued on Sunday when Kilmarnock visits Celtic Park. Neil Lennon will have slept better on Thursday night, but failure to capitalise on that performance will mean nothing if Celtic don't win on Sunday. 
Mark Bork is a founding member of Nave Park Celtic Supporters Club Dublin. He's also served on the Executive Celtic Supporters Association Committee in Glasgow. So many Celtic fans in Ireland served their Celtic supporting apprenticeship on those Nave Park Supporters buses. Hi Mark, you're very welcome to the Celtic Soul podcast. Your connection with Celtic goes way back, it goes back a long time. Would you ever have thought that we would witness a war pandemic that would see football cancelled and then resume without fans? Well, Andrew, it's nice to talk to you. Uh, after a great result last night, for us, I have to say, so the mood is up a lot better than what it probably would have been under circumstances. Now, uh, first of all, I don't see 1990 as being that long ago, obviously, because I'm the age I am now. But uh, now, who could foresee an epidemic such as COVID coming along and the devastation it's caused for, for us as football fans being able to travel to games, uh, watching everything now, with empty stadiums and, and all that. But we just have to walk our way through it until it's over and look forward to getting back to the way things were normal. You mentioned last night a positive result and a kind of a... I get up out of bed this morning with a bit of a spring in my step because I was just... I was just... I was just so fed up, Mark, with results and with, you know, the fans being split and just so much going on with, you know, the club and the frustration of not being able to go to these games and go for a point with your mates and... Enjoy kind of like enjoy a hobby, really. But it's a kind of a hobby that means a lot more to us. But one thing I will, I said to um, my son and my wife last night because they were saying, Oh, you must be happy now with the result. And I said, Yeah, I am. But you know, one sunny day doesn't make a summer, and there is trouble in paradise. Yeah, there's no doubt about that. Um, but just looking at last night's game, there was a lot to take out of it that's very positive. I mean, for the start, the team was freshened up. But young, hungry players were a lot to prove. And they certainly proved it last night um, with the energy that was on the park. Also, it was very obvious that the team was a unit last night. We haven't seen that at all this season. There was no gaps in the middle of the park to the defence. The defence wasn't left exposed. They moved forward and they moved, they defended as a unit, which is what we really want to see, particularly in Europe, because the hoidings that we've got. I mean, we're on a record here to concede goals in the Europa League this year. I mean, that should never have happened. Never. I mean, had the manager been wise enough, and in hindsight is a great thing, to play this team starting off with Sparta Prague away, I think we would have been in a different situation now. I'm certain with that team last night, that we've seen last night, we'd still be in the League Cup, and we would have made a better fist of the last few games in, in the Europa League. But we are where we are. And, I mean, there's no doubt about it in my mind that it's only the start of what has to be now a big turnaround. I mean, we've got to win all our matches up to Ibrox and we have to win there as well, really, because it's all about getting the 10 back on the road again, because that's really what all this hysteria is about. It's about the 10. There's nothing else other than that. People may be getting upset about European results, but really, for the season that's in it, it's all about winning 10 in a row. Yeah, we may have witnessed a changing of the old guard last night because... I thought Turnbull was outstanding going forward and I thought Sorrow in the midfield, the way he broke play up, was... I didn't realise he was such a player because we haven't seen so much of him. Uh, a positive a positive performance from, from the goalkeeper making his debut as well, Mark. You know, but we just hope that maybe Neil has learned his lesson that you know loyalty means nothing in football. It's a results-based business. Well, the most nervous thing about Sunday is waiting to see the team lines coming out, isn't it? Uh, to see if any of, as you say, the old guard are brought back in. But I think that's been the problem this year. He's depended too much on guys who basically are finished now. I mean, you have to be blunt about it. We've got to move forward, and we've got to move forward with people, young lads who are committed 
They have an intensity about them and they've got something to prove. Henderson was excellent last night when he came on. Clamalla put a great shift in. The, the thing about Connor's hazard is last night, he looked a presence in the goal. He didn't have a lot to do, but he certainly looked like a presence. He looked he looked formidable. He looked like Foster would have with that appearance of being difficult to beat. Yeah, and he, he did. He got a bit of luck with the save, but he did make that save, which looked impressive. Mark, but you, you said there would hunger. And and it, it's something I think has been missing at, at times this year when it should be the hungriest season of all when you mentioned the 10 in a row. But these young players did look hungry and that's a word that I was used on the podcast a couple of weeks ago when um, it, w- it was mentioned that Rangers look a hungrier team. Yeah, well, I mean, I'm going to focus on us because all we can do is support our team and hope our team is fit and proper to represent us on the park. and. I don't think there was ever any doubt that we have a really good squad. We have a talented squad. And we were all baffled as to how this we got this mess going. I mean, even even when I go back to thinking about the Finnish Farless game, which I think there's a lot of criticism for, but I actually think we played quite well that night. I mean, we had something like 29 attempts on goal, 10, uh, sorry, t- uh, shots, uh, and 10 of them were on, on, on target. So that was, a, that was a case of not taking our chances on the night. But, when everything gets wrapped up in a ball at the end of it, everything's thrown as as a negativity, maybe to get at the manager or the players. Or whatever. Because I think the players have a lot to answer for this season. The manager, this current manager, has backed all these players to the hilt. So one season was all he's asking for, for them to back him in return. And a lot of them really have let him down with the, with the performances this year. But last night was hopefully the first sign that this is going to be a change approach now moving on to the next game. Well, hopefully, Mark. And Mark, like, the big thing for Celtic supporters is that season book. You know, owning a season book, Absolutely. owning a part of paradise, or, or as I like to say, renting a part of paradise, because yes. there's always going to be someone to move in when you move out of that seat. I know sure. we had, I know we had empty, empty sections in the stadium when Ryan Delia was manager, but I do believe that was because one, there was a, there was an economic bust. The boom went to bust, especially mm-hmm. in Ireland, and then there was no Rangers. And whether we like it or not, people love to go to that game. It's a big money spin-off for both clubs. Yeah. Uh, personally, I think it's dragged us back. Um, in my opinion, I'm not, a, I'm not a big fan anymore of the old firm games. I think it, it, the vision of the club, the ambition of the club, should be much bigger than that. I mean, we're the first British club to, to win the European Cup. Uh, so we've gone backwards from there. I mean, we were once the best in the world. Uh, and that's the that's, that's the, the level we should be competing at. That's where ambition should be. And I, I blame the board on that, not the, the, the players. Uh, because that's what we were set up to be. We weren't set up to be in a, a perpetual Glasgow derby. And I do understand the fans getting drawn into that. And, and that's it. I'm just a very, very small minority, maybe of one, who sees it in the opposite. We shouldn't be dragged into that. We should, should be looking at the bigger picture. Because that has dragged us back for years. Just keeping above them has dragged us back for years. It's not. It's not good enough for Celtic. But yeah, it's it's a selling point for the club for the season books. Now, Mark, as season book holders, um, I suppose now with football being such a big business, we're now looked upon as customers. You know, in our in our hearts, you know, we'll always be fans and supporters, but not not by the board and you know the banks and people who control football now but as shareholders and members of the Celtic Trust if we don't own shares we become more relevant 
and we can have a greater we can have a greater say in the club with more shares brings more power and this can really address fans concerns to the board because and I'm not having a go at, at people who are protesting but a bedsheet banner with sack the board on it you know will not progress will not progress us you know and the appetite we have to have a greater say at the club you know not just for you know people of our age but people who are coming behind us you know younger fans you know this this isn't going to happen overnight you know the trust have been working on this for over 20 years but you know maybe we have been drunk on success mark you know where the where do you sit with you know you know the the emotional season boot holder and where we really need to be to take more control of our club absolutely right um this this goes back to early 2000s when the club moved on from being uh, a limited company to a PLC. Now, that was at the time Martin O'Neill was manager and probably the greatest period most of us have experienced as Celtic fans was that period. Seville uh, winning the leagues. We had some great players playing for us. So I don't think the fan base in general took enough notice of what was going on at a board level. Because what has happened is since then is that the power, the decision-making power in the club has been now concentrated in the hands of the biggest shareholder, the person with the con- controlling share, which is Dermot Desmond. Dermot Desmond calls all the shots now at Celtic. Now, whether you like it or not, that's a fact. That's a fact that he has that. Um, recent events, to me, have two issues. There's, there's a short-term and there's a long-term. The short-term issue is the, is the team. Uh, the collapse of the team has brought out all the protests on the streets because it's connected to the to the ten in a row. It appears we've gone off the rails, and the fans in their frustration are looking to get back on the rails by getting the manager removed to the blame correctly for 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 not uh, having the, the the players motivated to win the ten. But that's a short term issue. The second one. Is, is the engagement of the fan base with the board, which has been exposed now for what it is. It's nil at the moment. There's no channel for which the fans can engage with the board unless you're a shareholder. Celtic PLC is constituted by shares. Therefore, it's this PLC board only have a care duty to the shareholders. Now, whether we like it or not, that's a fact. That's an absolute fact. So the question you have to ask yourself as a fan is, what can we do about this? There's only one thing we can do. We can join the Celtic Trust because they are representing the fans, whether you have shares or not, and build up the stake in the club to a position where we have a say, we have a veto on decisions, and we can put our viewpoint across. Anything else is futile. Protests at the ground, uh, giving back your season tickets, uh, not buying at the shop. All these things are short term. The long term objective here now is to get the, the support of the vast amount of the fan base into the Celtic Trust so they can build up their strength and therefore build up the strength of the, the, the shareholders uh, view at, from a point of view of the fans. Give the fans a real stake in the club, but we must work to do that immediately. And we walk, we must walk together, Mark. We have to start, you know, there's, we're separated over Neil Lennon and we're separated over, you know, the current board. But the current, you know, chief executive will move on and the current manager will move on and the current players will move on. But we as fans will still be there, Mark. 
And when I look at the trust, I look at a fiver a month, you know, to become a shareholder and have a say in my club as towards the money I spend, as you say, in superstores and around the ground and even on my season book. Like the money, and I know, I've always been a member of the trust from the early days, but I know of a, I'm now more committed than ever to try and get the people to say, look, if you can't afford it, join the trust. Because once you join that trust, you know, people, I think people don't really get it, that they become a shareholder. They don't have to go and buy your own shares. Because as Jeanette said on the podcast recently, you know, if everyone has a little share, you know, and they're not together, it doesn't really mean much, you know. But if we can get all these shares, man, I can get them, you know, together and get a united voice. And the great thing about the trust as well, Jeanette told us, was that, you know, if anything ever happens to the trust and if it was ever dissolved, all the shares would go to a Glasgow charity, which is yeah. which is which is brilliant because I think when it comes to something like this and finance, people are always suspicious, man. And rightly so. Um but we have to take the blame ourselves for as fans for taking our eye off the ball uh, since the club became a PLC and we have to make up that gap uh, by as many of the fan base as we can possibly get to join the trust. It's the only channel. There's no alternative to that um, because uh, the financial aspect is we can't buy out this board. Saying sack the board really is nonsense. It's an old term we used from the 90s. But you cannot sack this board. You can't sack a man who was 34% of the shares and calls all the shots. You cannot sack him. The, the chief executive can be sacked because he's an employee of the club. That's a different story. But what we have to do is, is walk our stake up that the um, the major shareholder then engages with us so we can put our viewpoint across as how we'd like to see the club run. Yeah, Mark, you've been involved in Celtic Supporters Clubs, as I have. You've also been on the Celtic Supporters Association Executive Committee. Now, if the what differs the Celtic Trust, you know, you know, I, we know like the shares and that, but like why should Celtic Supporters Clubs be saying, right, we need to we need to get under this umbrella? And why should associations, Mark, be backing this? Um as I said, uh, there's no alternative. Back in the original Cells for Change uh era. Um, the, the, the bodies that represented the supporters clubs then were found wanting the Celtic Support Association and the affiliation they hesitated for too long uh, to back what was a growing grassroots movement looking for change and listening to podcasts recently it seems that the same bodies are being accused of the same again of, of not showing leadership in an issue where obviously there's significant uh, dissatisfaction amongst the fan base about how things have turned out this year. So it's like history repeating itself as far as the other bodies is concerned. The difference with the trust is it's already in there. They're a part of the shareholder register. What we need to do is just make it bigger because it's the only section of the share register where Celtic fans are represented. Now, some people, there's other people who have shares there who are Celtic fans, but they're at a smaller level. And I, 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 Dermot Desmond is a Celtic fan. There's no doubts about it. But the second biggest holder isn't uh, Lynn Cell Train. I mean, they're there positioning themselves for the time Celtic move out of Scotland and into a bigger league and the value that's going to bring to shares. That's fair enough. That's, that's the way it is in PLCs. People take those positions. But we need to have a position that secures the vision and the ambitions of the fans. And the only way we can do that 
is by making the trust as big and as representative of the fan base as we can. If somebody has a better alternative to that, they better come out with it because I haven't I haven't seen it, I haven't read about it. Going and trying to meet the meet the, the representatives of the club on on these feedback things where they ask questions, they are irrelevant. The only the only area we can attack them now, and I say attack, I don't mean it from an aggressive point of view, it, to actually solve this problem that has cre- has been shown up by the lack of engagement is by building support in the trust. There's no alternative. Yeah, Mark, I, I, I do want to ask you about the Cells for Change movement, but I, I want to go back before that because, like, take me back in your journey, Mark, as a fan and a founding member of your Celtic supporters clubs, you know, and, you know, the early trips and that. But you were coming, like, if I'm looking in at Nave Park, I'm thinking, yeah, the boys are starting, you know, centenary season, you know, just before the centenary season, in and around then, it's success, you know, excitement. And then we hit the 90s mark, you know. So, like, soon, you know, within the early years of the club, it was soon apparent that, you know, this wasn't the Celtic that, that won the European Cup. This was this was completely different. These were these were hard years to be running buses, Mark. <laughs> yeah, um, we live in a different world now than what it was for us in the eighties. Uh, I mean, Celtic, as I say, is omnipresent now. I mean, you know, we can see matches live from our houses. You know, there was none of that back in the eighties. I mean, we barely Celtic barely got a mention in newspapers when you lived in Dublin growing up as a kid. Uh, the only TV footage we ever saw was a half time in the FA Cup final because back in those days, the FA Cup final and the Scottish Cup final would be on the same day. So they'd show you a half time, the goals in the Scottish Cup final, and that was the only glimpse you got of Celtic. Now, I wasn't born into Celtic. Like all my mates, very few of us were born into Celtic. Some, some of the lads that started the club were the parents were from Scotland, so they had that already in them. Um, my my uh, first encounter with Celtic was as a, a kid when the Shoot magazine used to be out. Uh, and that'll tell you how old I was. That's in the 70s. And every summer, um, they bring out uh, a special issue that would have the league tables in it for the next year. And the idea was, was that you'd have all the different divisions and you'd have the, the, the Scottish League and the teams would fit in their tab of where they'd be as the league went on, that was the idea. Anyway, you follow all the different teams. In the but at the back of each team, they had a little note that described who the team were. And on the back of Celtic, they had founded by Irish priests in 1888. And I always, that struck me as a kid. Uh, that's something that I'm, I'm born in Ireland and this club was founded by Irish people. That's, that's different straight away. Um, I grew, as I was growing up, neighbours of ours, uh, um, one of the lad had worked in Glasgow most of his life as a painter and decorator, and he come home. His wife was Scottish, and he handed me an album. It was called "The Songs of Glasgow Celtic," and he said to me, "That's who you should be supporting." Uh, quite rightly, in my opinion, he, he said that to me. And from there, you began to notice people at uh, maybe the Dubs games when you started going to matches, uh, Shamrock Rovers matches. And you'd see fellas with Celtic scarves, and there was enough of us for it to be noticeable, but not significant numbers to be an impact. I joined the uh, Dublin uh, Celtic Supporters Club, and other young lads with me there as well at the time. We got a bit frustrated 
with how they organised things. Because like from their point of view, I understand it now. These were the lads that had seen Lisbon. Um, and most of them were from Scotland who had who had settled in in, uh, in in Dublin with their families. And the best days in their mind were gone. But what we were looking for was to get over, organise buses, get trips going. And they do sort of one a year. And it just led to a situation where we had to break away and try and do it for ourselves. So there was four or five of us at the time. And what we decided to do was that the best place to go and advertise would be Milltown uh, Shamrock Rovers, because obviously we had the same colours and we knew there was Shamrock Rovers fans followed Celtic. And at that time, Shamrock Rovers were on the, the great four in a row run and were playing in Milltown. And um, we gave out flyers advertising the club. Because remember, only a couple of years previously, uh, Celtic had actually played Rovers in Milltown in the European Cup, a great night. Uh, uh, that's that's uh, Eddie Towner still talks about that giving out the first time I ever paid a tenner of my life into a game. He said still gives out about it. Uh, but anyway, yeah, um, we we gave out uh, we we gave out flyers that night. Uh, they were playing Man United in a friendly, and um, we we waited in the pub, and suddenly a deluge appeared to people. So there was obviously a desire uh, amongst many like-minded people like us to get something going. Um, and finally, uh, after a good bit of organising and, and um, trying to get ourselves started out, we finally decided to make our first trip would be uh, the, the Rangers game at the start of the centenary season. So as the centenary season kicked off, that was our first trip. Um, Rangers had won the league the previous year. Soon as uh, had been brought in um, to revolutionise them. Um so we brought in Billy McNeil and, and that team that year that Billy McNeil put together was absolutely magnificent. I mean, the football they played was astonishing. Uh, McAvenny, McStay, Tommy Burns, Andy Walker, Billy Stark. I mean, it was a sensational season. I mean, for us to for us to be our fourth season following Celtic and going over regularly uh, to win the double. I mean, we thought, great. This is, I mean, the future is going to be absolutely fantastic. So um, the next year, uh, we got to the, uh, we only won the Scottish Cup. Um, we beat Rangers uh, 1-0 at Hamden. And at that stage, we'd only been doing overnights. Like overnights, I say overnights, it was actually two nights. We were going over on Friday and back on on, uh, on the Sunday after the games. To sustain the club going forward, uh, you were never going to be able to keep doing that because it was too expensive for people to go. And we had come in contact with uh, some friends in Belfast traveling on the ferries. And they told us, that uh, we should contact Ulster Bus because they would do day buses for us. Um, so the very first day trip, as in leaving Dublin early in the morning, over for the game and back, uh, was Dundee United in November 1989. And we'd about 18 on it. We lost an absolute fortune. But it picked up after that because people realised that like you could jump on the bus at three in the morning, a uh, few bob in your pocket, have a few beers on the boat, over to the game, pay in, back and um, for whatever reason and I can never explain to this day it picked up uh, first of all we'd one bus full and then we two buses full but as we were going on the trajectory up in the club uh, from 1990 on things started taking a sharp turn down as far as the fortunes of the club was concerned and I think it was all sparked by Brian Dempsey coming on board in 1990 as a director it was a fresh approach uh, a Glasgow businessman, 
uh, with new ideas. Everything seemed to be, you know, this seemed to be the right road we are finally going on. Because up to that time, most of us had never really taken any attention to the board, like most of the younger fans now, quite rightly. They're not there to support the board. They're there to support the team. Um, but anyway, uh, Brian Dempsey suddenly got sacked after about six to eight months. And this was bizarre stuff. Uh, that the, the person that was brought in to give us hope um, had, had suddenly been sacked by the board and the board closed ranks and just wanted to continue on business as usual. Uh, we didn't win the league. We didn't win, we didn't win anything again in 1995. So you can imagine how the raw set in at that stage. I mean, Lee Brady was brought in as manager and things just seemed to go from bad to worse. It was a miserable, miserable time. Now, we kept going and we were going in bigger numbers. Uh, and I can't, I can't explain that. I can't explain why when the club is, got, is taking a nosedive, I mean, the attendances back then, believe it or not, were lucky to be over 20,000 a game. And most people were paying in and standing, you know? Like, it's a different, totally different world than what it was, what it is now. Uh, when, when you look at everything that we have at our fingertips to watch matches. And it was back then, it was all Saturday games. You pay in, we'd, we'd arrive up, most of us would pay into the South Stand. Because you could you'd have a bit of rest after drinking all the way over on the bus. Like most fellas would fall asleep and have the matches taken out. But anyway, that's the way it was. Um and generally the discontent started to grow uh as each year started to go past. Because at that stage, it wasn't just winning the league. We we weren't even making it into Europe anymore. Like you're talking about finishing fourth and fifth and stuff like that. You know, can I can people imagine the world of Celtic being like that now? No. Certainly not, Mark. And, and Mark, um, like the bus is still going, and it's it's fair play to everybody. And the lads that are still traveling on, Anto, one of the older older ones, and of course, Kieran Kenny, who we've had on the podcast. But Mark, I want to just swing forward, uh, and then I will go back because mm. I remember uh, when you when you chartered your first plane to Glasgow, and Hilly rang me and he says. Mark and now Park are chattering a plane to Glasgow. And I went, what? You know, and this is how much it's going to be. And I says, oh, that's very expensive. But I tell you one thing, I says, I'm on it. Now, at this stage, I had this big aeroplane in my head. I got up to Dublin Airport, and I don't know if it was a 50-seater or a 70-seater. And we flew to Presswick. And I was sitting, I was sitting, I forget who I was sitting with, but it was possibly Hilly. And I remember turning around and saying, I said, and excuse the language, there's the fucking people now. <laughs> Here was a, a bunch of us that, you know, had been brought up in ham sandwiches and a bag of cans and the rebel tape. And here we were sitting on an aeroplane and flying into a game. And we were going to be able to have a point after the game and then get on an aeroplane and fly home. No one else. And I just, that's one of, that's a, a memory mark that, um, you know, it was a thing you couldn't afford to do every week. But that's up there, you know, thinking, how far have Celtic supporters clubs come from, you know, you just said a meeting in a pub where you gave out flyers. So from your own point of view, Mike, when you stood in the air, and I remember Ben, and I remember a few people that was on that flight. And like when you stood in Celtic Park that day, you must have said, you know, how did we get to this stage? You know, because it, it couldn't be done without, you know, the support of the, of the, the walking man on the street. You know, the, we weren't all businessmen, you know, you know, shorts and toys getting on, on a plane to go to watch, you know, the golf or the rugby weather. We were a bunch of scallywags who now had had the opportunity to go on a chartered plane. <laughs> well, that 
that time you're talking about when we had uh, the, the we had it was Air Ireland, you're right, and then we we um, we managed to do some work with uh, Elingus, whatever. But that was the Celtic Tiger era, uh, and everybody was a millionaire in Ireland at that stage, if you remember, you know. Uh, I mean, I knew something was up, but one of the lads come into us one day to pay for a trip and he says, uh, I'm just at the buying a property, uh, a holiday home in, in uh, Spain. And the guy was a plumber. And I'm saying to myself, what's going on here? You know, <laughs> The Celtic Tiger was starting to roar and we lost the run of ourselves. Um, I mean, I'll take it back a little bit further that because it, when I realised, you know, what had we started here? You're talking about four buses leaving the GPO. You would have had nearly a bus on with us with all the lads from the league. Uh, four coaches leaving the GPO to head over to see a club that hadn't won that in six years. I, I can't explain it. I, I don't know what happened, but we just seemed to hear it. Where uh, there was a, there was a obviously there was a, a a goodwill towards Celtic that people wanted to, as I say I said before, none of us were born into it. But one of the, the proudest things I think I can boast now is that when we all leave the mortal coil, all our kids coming behind us, they're all Celtic fans now. I mean, I see I see lads in the club now and I knew the fathers. Uh, and that's a great thing. That's a great thing. That's a, that's the future of Celtic now is in the, the hands of the younger lads in their club. They're the future of us. Yeah, and like I've always said, you know, there's been, like, there's been great unity among uh, the Irish Celtic supporters. Now there has been a few splits and a few rows over the years, but you know, from my from my experience, it's been generally positive. Like from from starting the fans in Mark, the backing that we got from Celtic supporters clubs, because you know in, in Glasgow there was fanzines, and you know we're standing outside the ground and we're going, you know, who are these Irish boys? You know, like it wasn't as if we were mixing in on the patch, but you know, fanzines were still, I suppose, a bit more rele- relevant then because at that stage we were only you know coming into the early stages of the internet and, and you know, computers and that. Like, and, like the reason why I was the secretary of St. Margaret's was because I was the only one that had a computer. <laughs> you know, and like, it wasn't as if, you know, like there was better, there was people better positioned to do that job, including the, Scobie, the secretary now. But yeah. at that time, you know, yeah. you were the secretary because you had a computer. And that's, it was kind of starting when I think back. But the supporters are always been there. And even since we started the podcast, it, like, like when we look at the analytics, the huge listenership in Ireland, like, you know. So there, there is, there's always been a, a base of Celtic fans here, whether they've been able to travel or not. But they're all, and like people say, oh, you know, my second team is Celtic. Well, that may have been, you know, many years ago with, because we only got English football on TV or we got to see League of Ireland. But it's certainly not now because I, I don't think there's a support in Ireland for any football club outside the League of Ireland that would have, you know, so many people willing to buy season books and to join clubs and to join organisations like the Trust. You know, so from, from my point of view, the support we get. Now, I see today even tweets, you know, about the Celtic Trust having to pop at them and, you know, and asking questions and all that, which, isn't, which people are entitled to do. But there has been disruptions at the club before. There have been splits among the fans. And that's why, Mark, I want to ask you, because when the sales for change happened, I had Matt McGowan on the podcast, and he was saying, you know, he was called, he was called a hun, he was called this, he was called that when he started off. But he was never called that in Ireland because one thing that came out of Ireland, and Matt, Matt said it to me, was 
The only united fan base was the Irish supporters clubs in support of the sales for change. Yeah, but we still had the war crowd because um, for the we, we had a, a solid group that travelled across every week on the ferry. There was probably 30 or 40 clubs uh, going to every game. But that's not to say that everybody came around to the, to the view that the board had failed us together. Um, it started off with a few of us saying, we need to do something. Um, and generally uh, looking to build, you know, a consensus amongst us all that we, we need to do something. Now, what the something was at the start, we didn't know because we were working on this for probably two years at least. Uh, I mean, we were probably working at this before Sales for Change were even, I think they were formed in late 92, early 93. Um, but they became the focus, um, the, obviously, uh, in Glasgow. Uh, so we decided that we would back sales for change. Um, so it sort of evolved that way. Uh, but it took us a while to be united. I mean, that's because everybody had strong opinions. Uh, when it came to push, came to show for a boycott, I mean, that was very difficult for a lot of the clubs. I mean, how how do you organise to run a bus from anywhere in Ireland, go to Celtic Park and stand aside the ground? I mean... That was a huge sacrifice to make. I mean, we, we, we would, before that, we would take part in, in, in the protests after the game. And, and Matt is right. Uh, what was left at, at Celtic Park, it was 20,000 absolute hardcore. Um, they, it, they don't like to see Celtic being protested against. That's just a fact. Uh, Celtic fans in general don't like protest uh, against their own club. And it was very, very difficult at the start taking part in, 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 uh, gatherings where people were walking by you, abusing you over uh, uh, sack, the, sack the players, they say. They're not doing it for us. Uh, traitors, whatever, whatever, whatever people would say. But they have to be respected because that was their viewpoint at that time. Um, it was events more than nothing else that, that conspired in their favour in that the board generally just made a total ass of things as time, time went on. I mean, the big breakthrough for the Irish clubs was we we wrote a letter for an EGM that was coming up in which we 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 told them that they have to step down. And I think something like 22 clubs put their names on it. Uh, and um, the EGM was on, and I got a phone call late that night from Jim Mervin, who'd been called by Brian Dempsey to say that, all the directors had got the letter, but James Farrell actually stood up and read it out. And he actually said he was very moved by it and he was considering things after reading this letter. So we knew we had made an impact on the board. Our view was just step aside, please step aside, because there was people to come in. Uh, but unfortunately, um, the rest of the board weren't having any of that. And that's what led to the meeting in Dundalk, if you want to talk about that. Um, that was like the apex for us. Uh, um, that was in February of 94. And in the previous New Year's trip, uh, we, we were we were playing Rangers uh, on New Year's Day, obviously. And um, we invited Sales for Change to Belfast to travel on the boat with us so we could have a meeting on the boat. And things were coming to a head at that stage. Now, it was probably accelerated by the fact that we got battered 4-2 that day. And... Um, 
it, there was people throwing Mars bars at the the board. The board were under siege that day. That was the, the beginning of the end for them there. So we we organised the meeting in the dock in, in February, and we we picked the dock as a kind of a neutral venue because it meant everybody had to travel. Because at that stage, I don't think there was a big supporters club in Dundalk, but it meant everybody had to travel. And if everybody had to travel, it meant everybody was committed. It was dead easy for us to have it in Belfast or in Dublin because people just turned up who really weren't that committed. Everybody who turned up that day was very committed to what we were looking to do. Um, our plan was always to let Shells, the Shells for Change lads speak for us, and then we were going to propose a motion um, for an immediate boycott, uh, beginning with the Command game, which is at the end of the month, the 25th of, uh, of February was that year. Uh, there was 52 clubs there and 51 immediately backed the motion. Uh, the, the one club who didn't brought it back to their members and a couple of days later told us they were as well. So we had 100% support for a boycott from the travelling clubs in Ireland. Now, the important thing about that was is that the Sales for Change group had been lobbying for the, the groups in, in, in Glasgow, the association affiliations, to do the same. And nobody would come out and organise, stand behind a, a boycott. So it was very significant that we decided that we were going to be the force to do that, even though we had to travel at that stage the, the furthest distance. Um, as things turned out, we didn't have to activate the, the boycott because the board fell a couple of weeks later um, when the bank moved. Um, and the next game after that was, was a home game against Motherwell. There was 35,000 on it. We, we hadn't seen a, a crowd in that for years. Fergus McCann was in and a new direction started in that, in that month from having a meeting in Dundalk where we really didn't know how it was going to work out. I mean, Matt McGlone was saying at that meeting, if we don't get this boycott to work, we're finished. And, and that was it. It was, it was a gamble. That, that, that boycott may not have worked, but the threat of the boycott definitely worked. Yeah, you, know, you mentioned um, the affiliation and the Celtic Supports Association. Um, it went back in it. Why then did you get involved with the, uh, with the CSA? I was a, our club was a member of the CSA. Uh, Brendan Sweeney, a great friend of mine as well, he was one of the, the, the five members of Cells for Change. His club was involved as well. And it, we felt we had to make change there because um, the major... They're the major supporters body in, in Glasgow, have been traditionally huge membership. They should be leading this. You know, they should be leading the fans when there's when the when the scent is in the air amongst the, a great majority of the fans. They should be leading. Now, what happened with, with the CSA was they had become flamassed by the board. They were friendly with them, you know, they had the seats at, at, at the stadium. Why would they want to organise boycotts and, and have their friends thrown out? So what we decided to do was we would gather ourselves into a group of allies who are all like-minded and we battled then to get onto the committee. And once we got onto the committee, we changed the association. So that's where I, I met with Eddie, Eddie Towner, lifelong friend. Uh, we started in the trenches together with Brendan. Um, Joe and all the rest of it. We managed to finally get, get rid of the old um, committee there and we brought in change that was needed. I've lost touch with it since then. I mean, I stepped down, Eddie stepped down, we stepped down in 2003. Uh, 
just to get back to supporting the team again and be involved in their own clubs. But it does seem at the moment they're very quiet. Um, I mean, this isn't a sales for change moment. It, to me, there's no comparison. I mean, we 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 were we were at we were we were looking at the club going out of business, being extinct, uh, liquidated. Uh, it was a very real prospect. Um, it was frightening. We're not we're nowhere near that today. Uh, this is just form of the team that has brought this about. But even at moments like this, this is when the big group should be stepping forward to 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 lead the fans. I mean, that's what happens if you don't lead the fans. You'll get the protest like you got over the last few weeks. And I think that's why the Trust have arranged a protest on Sunday because they want to be seen to be taking control of this and having a safe and, you know, no missiles being thrown. And I mean, I think that's a very responsible thing to do, even if people think it's wrong uh, that they shouldn't be doing it. But to take the narrative and to, to show that a respectful majority of the fans can go along and make their... Their, their opinions clear without resorting to threats of violence or missiles or pushing down fences because that doesn't work for us. It doesn't make us look good. It doesn't make us look responsible. Yeah, Mark, one name you didn't mention there, you know, you mentioned Ferrix McCann, Brendan Sweeney, Eddie then later in, in the CSA, um, Matt McGlone, Jim Mervin, you know, people that, you know, I, I would I would know a lot about. But there's one name he didn't mention there, and he's the new chairman of the Celtic Trust, which is David Lowe. Now, back then, I was a young lad, only interested in drinking pints. And, and you well, know, have you stopped? Sometimes the results were secondary, but you were, you were like, you know, like I wasn't involved in, in even a supporters club then. I was just happy to jump on buses and drink and have the crack. And like many of the young lads now, you know, as like, I probably would have been excited about fences being rattled when I was 16 or 17. And I've said it to Jeanette as well, but I think as I head towards the 5-0 next year, you know, it doesn't appeal to me. And, you know, organised protest would appeal to me much more, you know, if I was in Glasgow. But obviously I'm in Ireland and, and, and I, I don't have a choice of attending. But as I said, you mentioned David Lowe, new chairman. What was his part in the role of Fergus McCann? And he seems to have been there a lot longer, you know, within the club. But now he's come outside and into the supporting shareholders, you know, identity. Well, I wouldn't have known him well. I don't know him well now. Um, like we'd have been dealing with uh, Matt McGlone, Colin Duncan, John Thompson, uh, Brendan, and they would be liaison with the groups who were looking to step in if the board fell. That's the best way to put it. Now. Probably the most important person in all of this, in in the, um, how would you say, the strategy in how the board fell was David Lowe, because he tracked down all the Celtic, the Celtic shareholders of that era. And in tracking them down, he discovered there was a lot of discontent with those shareholders with how they'd been treated by the Whites and the Kellys, who more or less, who just ran the club as their own then. So his his role was absolutely vital because in like what we're saying now about shares being the only currency that you can use to engage the board, it was the very same back then. And what David Law was able to do was to either have the shares sold to the groups who were coming in, Fergus McCann, Brian Dempsey, uh, 
or secure support in EGMs from these people. So they became a real threat to the board from inside. Now, they never got enough shares to outvote the board. It was the financial problem that ultimately uh, overthrew the board themselves through their incompetence that they ended up with the bank looking for an immediate payment of a million pounds by 12 o'clock on a Tuesday, wherever it was. And Kevin Kelly had to go at that moment to speak to Brian Dempsey and say to them, can you help us? And that's what got everything in motion for Fergus brought over to, to Glasgow to go up with David Lowe with the million pounds, who I believe John Keane uh, provided at the time. So, Anyway, to cut long story short, David Law was vital in all of that. He was the one behind the scenes who organised the support through the shares. Now, move on to today. He's been he's been the chairman for the last year. Um, if you ask a question about COVID, uh, is it good having a billionaire running your club at the time of COVID? I would say 100% yes. It's better having somebody of those resources than not having them. Is it good having David Lowe as chairman of the trust for what lies ahead? Absolutely. Because unlike me and yourself and Jeanette, we don't know the mechanics of how all this stuff works, but he does. And that's where we're going to build on his expertise uh, to, to grow the numbers of the trust so that we get the, as I say before, the stake, the significant stake back in. Now, this could take us 10 years. This isn't, the, this isn't something that's going to happen next weekend. Um, this is gonna. This is a long haul game for us, like you know. But we're all committed to do it. I've, I've started. A, we've started with our own club. Uh, we're advocating to our membership um, that everybody should join the trust. I mean, I'm hoping you put out the message to your club. Uh, you use your podcast to spread to all the listeners to encourage them to join the trust. That's the only way we can have. So we're back to where we started. It's the only way we can have a voice. And is David Lowe a NASA to us? Absolutely. Um, and the more support we can build into the trust, the more he can get in there, which in there, and fight for what's ours. And another name, Mark, that you, you know you mentioned there was you know a billionaire, a major shareholder, Dermot Desmond. Now, unlike most Celtic fans, you know we've never had a conversation with DD Dermot Desmond. You had a conversation with him, and you, um, how did that come about? And I, I know he phoned you. How, does, how did uh, that come about? Well, it, it was connected. The previous probably shambolic situation with managers was uh, Kenny Dalglish and John Barnes. I mean, anybody who remembers that time, that was just chaotic what was going on there. I mean, getting beaten by um, Inverness, Cali at home, uh, the chaos outside the ground that night with the players trying to get it, it was like what, what's going on at the moment. Um, it seemed as though we were in a total mess and we decided to write to Dermot Desmond because we're a Dublin club. He He's he's a Cork man who's lived his life in Dublin and he's the, he was the biggest influence uh, at the club at the time. And surprisingly, he phoned us back um, uh, he phoned us back one day and uh, I think he was away in Bermuda or somewhere. So I was totally shocked when the call came in, could you speak to him? So he basically said, I got your letter. Um, I agree with the sentiment in it. He said, um, Kenny Dalglish and John Barnes was a mistake. 
blah, blah, blah. We spoke about that. And he says, but look, let me tell you this. He said, uh, if you give me a choice between spending money on players or a manager, I'll always spend the money on a manager because the manager can influence things to a much greater degree than any player. It has has much more impact on a club than a player. Fair enough. And he says, let me tell you, he says, we have the man in place and you'll be pleased. Now, he didn't say who it was, but he told us we'd be pleased. And a week later, uh, Martin O'Neill was unveiled as the manager. So he was more or less telling me that he'd gone after Martin O'Neill himself. Because at the time, the newspapers were, were saying Gus Hiddink was coming in. Uh, and they were following Gus Hiddink all, all around Spain. So it, it wasn't a long conversation, but it was enough to show me that um, he certainly has his... Uh, he, he, he goes about his business in the correct way. There's no doubt about that. He's, he's low profile. Um, he does what's right, I believe, for the club. I, I, I mean, I, I would be an admirer of what he's doing. I mean, the club is splendid now. It's in great condition. Um, of course, we're having problems uh, on the park. We're always going to have that because it's the it's the, the nature of competition in football. But by and large, uh, he's been very good for Celtic. He could have sold the shares many times in the past. So while I see him getting a lot of abuse and all that, he has to take that, I suppose, as being the, the key decision maker. By and large, he's done done well for us uh, in, in the 17, is it 17 more years? I mean, he bought in in the first shared issue in 1994. But, but David Lowe said something very interesting that caught me attention in the, in, in the Celtic Trust meeting last week, was that there was actually an issue, small issue, between Dema and Fergus when Fergus was leaving. Um, to the extent that Dema said to Fergus, I'll buy the bulk of these shares. And Fergus was a little bit put out because he wanted a bigger section to go to the fans. Um, whatever way it worked out, Dema bought the, the bulk of them and the PLC has been, uh, subsequently been set up. So at that moment, uh, we lost the opportunity to have a, a significant... Now, I mean, I'm probably... I'm remembering it as best I can, but it certainly struck me as interesting that Fergus was a little bit put out by this, but still went ahead with it. Um, because I think Fergus's idea was always that the shares would go back to the fans and it'd be like a fan-run club. But we're not in that situation now where PLC, and I'm, I'm, I'm bored and you're repeating it, the only way we can we can change that is by supporting the trust with everything we have. Yeah, and I think I think judging on the, the, the podcast with Jeanette now, like Jeanette had, had wrote for the fanzine for many, many years. Uh, we put articles up on the website, you know, when we started the website, and they never really caught the attention of, you know, if we put an article up about Henry Larson, you know, like this this is where we we are at, you know, where you know what, what people want to read and consume. But we we like since the, the podcast went out, um, we certainly have got you know new listeners, um, and the message is, is, I think, for a lot of people, it's easier to listen than to read. They're they're likely to listen to somebody that maybe pick up a document, which is can be quite hard to to read sometimes if you're not an academic like myself. Yeah. But anyway, Mark, right? Uh, it's been great having you on, and we spoke about. And I was delighted to get you know your insight into your years, you know, because there's a lot of names who have been influential in the club. You know, you've come across in that time from, you know, fans to directors to Dermot Desmond. But I know one of your your unhappiest times was 
when I met it, I think it was the first person I met after Seville when I was trying to bum a lift back to back to our digs, and because I, I got a taxi to the game, and you were very very angry. You were I'd spoken to any Porto fan who happened to pass the bus, uh, and then we we got on the bus, and it was the quietest bus I was ever on. I think it took us a couple of hours to get back to Ben and Medina, but there's been happier times, Mark, and I'm just going to. Take out the imaginary time machine now, and I want to take us back to a game or a time in attendance. You know, during your time following Celtic, and just finish up with that. Um, the one that stands out for me was the run to Seville that year. Uh, the best away trip that year was Stuttgart. Uh, Seville was a mess. It was just too many people there. There was too many of us, eighty thousand, um, too warm. But Anfield. Anfield to me was the was the peak that year because I remember um, who was it we played before um, it was Celta Vigo we we played Celta Vigo first and we knew that we'd be we'd be playing Liverpool after that and the newspapers had already written us off you know you know that's it Celtic's run's going to come to an end uh, it's the usual arrogance that we always get. I mean, Celtic were written off when they played Leeds in 1970. It goes on and on and on. It's always the way. The narrative is always uh, the English club is going to win and that's it. So we had the first leg and uh, well, that was a good occasion um, from the point of view that you had the, the sort of connection between the Liverpool fans and the Celtic fans you never walk on, all that type of stuff. Anyway, yeah, we battered them <laughs> uh, but we finished up one all. Uh, and back to Anfield we went. Now, that night going back from Glasgow, the Liverpool fans were very, very arrogant there. You just have nothing, you just have nothing, all this type of stuff, you know, to us. And when you got to Anfield that night, uh, I mean, we, we, I think that was, that was in between two games against Rangers that we lost as well, one of them being the League Cup final, if I remember rightly. And I remember I was in the Celtic end, one of the lucky ones, and there was a group dressed up with all the Rangers gear on, you know, obviously just to rub it in even more on us, like, you know. But what a performance that night from our team. It was absolutely incredible. They absolutely played Liverpool off the park. And when the first goal went in, there was people everywhere celebrating. We must have nearly took over the stadium that night. People just got in the cop end, in the main stand. I mean, it was incredible. But John Hartson's finish was like... A, it was like an outpouring of 20 years of suffering for that moment. And to see Liverpool trooping off the park with the heads down, the stadium empty, and we were singing. We, we, we were staying in Manchester that night. What a session we had that night in Manchester, you know? Because the next morning, it, the way it was, the draw for the next round, most of us were still in bed at that stage where the draw was being made and we got uh, I think Stuttgart after that, wasn't it? I think it was Stuttgart after that. But uh, definitely that stands out as... The highlight, uh, because that's as I said before, that's that's where we should be. And there's one thing I want. I want to take this quote for you. Give, leave you with this quote, okay? My pal Brendan Brendan Sweeney is he's become probably the foremost Celtic histori historian. His books about Celtic are absolutely magnificent about the early years of the club, the detail he has in it. And there's this quote in the first book that he had, which was um, the first few years from formation. Uh, first five years then. But there's a quote in there that Willie Maley made in 1938. In 1938 was the 50th anniversary of the foundation of the club. And 
he had this quote about John Glass, who was one of the founding members. And if anything succinctly captures the vision of Celtic from its foundation, it's this quote. He said, John Glass is the man to whom Celtic owes its existence. It was thanks to Glass that the organisation fulfilled the object which the first committee set out to make good, to prove that Irish men could build a club as good as anyone. So I'll leave that with you as a motto going forward of where their club really should be. Thank you very much, Mark. Mark, um, I was with you that night, by the way, in Manchester after the Liverpool game because uh, I was sitting at home the night before the game, no ticket, and I wasn't travelling, no flight booked, no boat booked, no nothing. Sulking. And my wife said, are you going to the game tomorrow? I said, no, no ticket. Don't talk about it. She then made a phone call to a friend who knows nothing of myself but had an auntie working for Liverpool. Within a half an hour, I'd secured a ticket. I think it was on to you to see if there was any flights and if someone had pulled out, I could change a name. I got on a flight. We travelled to Manchester. But the one thing that sticks out for me from, from when we got to Liverpool, we all ended up in the big Irish centre and we were having the crack. We were drinking. I had a ticket. I'd gone to the stadium, got me ticket, come back to meet you. I think at, at that stage, Mark, I may have been the only one in your group with a ticket. Now, you may have had a few up your sleeve, but they went. You walked that room that day. You were never off the phone. And all of your boys got tickets that night throughout the stadium. So for me, that's what being a Celtic fan and running the Celtic Supporters Club was all about. You know? So I know my man, Hilly, does the same. And there's so many throughout, yeah. throughout Ireland. Hundreds out there. Do, and in Scotland do that to get tickets for their boys you know and mm. like no matter where it is in the stadium and you're right there was a lot of us in the stadium that night and one of, one of our own man was Jerry Brady was behind him <laughs> now Jerry I think got put out at one stage right but and like I was ignoring him he was shouting at me and I was ignoring him because there's no way I was getting thrown out but that that's a memory I have of that so listen Mark all I've left to say is thanks very much for opening up your static soul yourself and the listeners Thank you for your contribution to the Celtic fan base in Ireland. It's, it, it, it's been a lot and uh, it means a lot to most of us because uh, without that bus stopping in Drada, who knows, I might never have met Hilly and I may never have, you know, followed Celtic the way I do now. So thank you so much. You're, you're very welcome. Uh, I could just say that really, it's not about the past, it's about the future now and that's why I want to leave on the last note saying I plead with people, if you haven't already joined the Trust, it's the only way your voice can be represented at board level. Join up. Thanks, Mark. I, I have to agree with you now. Um, and I will post up the trust uh, details when we put out the podcast on the description. So, folks, if you haven't already joined the trust or you don't know about the trust, you know, get on and listen to the last podcast with Jeanette. Get on to our website. And if they're on Twitter as well. Follow them on Twitter. Once again, Mark, thanks very much and we'll talk soon. Thanks, Andrew. Great to chat to Mark, who has always had Celtic and the Celtic support in his heart. And as I said earlier, he has played no small part in getting Celtic supporters from Ireland over to Celtic Park. Thanks to everyone who bought the fanzine. Anyone taking out a 12-month subscription will receive a free T-shirt in the post as a thank you for the continued support. All subscribers will also get a digital copy of each issue while they wait for the print copy to drop through the letterbox and also access to all our back issues. With no match day sales, without your support, there would be no print edition, so thank you so much. 
Full subscription details are in the podcast description. Visit our online shop where you'll find our t-shirts and merchandise. Again, we'll post them all out on the same day if you receive them before noon. Each episode of the podcast, we promise we'll throw out a special offer on the merchandise to our listeners. So this episode, if you buy a t-shirt, we'll throw in one of our scarves, either the Celtic Soul or the Rude Bison. And details again will be in the podcast description. As always, thanks to my long-suffering producer, Ron McQuillan, Folks, if you like what we're doing with the podcast and you would like to support us, you can do so by visiting CelticFansing.com where you can become a member, subscribe, buy or donate for the price of a point. We promise no unwanted adverts on our website, within our articles and no unwanted advert interruptions on our podcast. Keeping it real, keeping it independent. Your support will help us to continue to produce quality independent fan journalism, podcasts, video content, live events and of course the fanzine. And don't worry, if you're not in a position to financially support us at this time, don't worry, we will still deliver the same quality content, free to all fans. Don't forget to download our free app, and you will have access to all the podcasts, articles, daily news, video, events, fanzine, and our online shop, all at the touch of a button on your phone or tablet. All episodes of the podcast are now available on all platforms, so don't forget to hit the subscribe or follow button, and you'll never miss an episode. Once again, just a reminder, you can follow us on Instagram, Facebook and Twitter. And thanks again to our episode sponsor, Brother Warford Celtic Supporters Club down in Wicklow. Thanks very much, boys, for the support. If your business or Celtic Supporters Club like what we're doing with the podcast and would like to become a sponsor, please email us at info at You can also contact us through the website or message us on social media. So keep the comments coming in and the suggestions for guests. Here's a few from the last podcast. Fantastic insight into the Celtic Trust. Every Celtic supporter needs to listen to this. And that comes in from Tony Ratton, one of our regular listeners who's living in Sunderland. That was a cracker of an episode of the podcast, man. Fair Jews, and that comes from Frank Cullen down in Wicklow. For anyone unsure about the Celtic Trust, listen to the podcast and join today. That comes from Paul on Twitter. Very useful listen for anyone like myself wanting to know more about the Celtic Trust and their aims. That comes from Ryan Tinney in Belfast. Really enjoyed the podcast and can't wait to read the fanzines. Keep up the good work. And that comes from Peter McClug in Kildare. Peter, thanks very much for subscribing. The fanzine and the t-shirt is in the post. Folks, we will be back with the next episode on Tuesday with another guest who will be opening up the Celtic Soul to us. And we look back on Kilmarnock's visit to Celtic Park and the latest protest at the stadium. Following on from the spirit performance on Thursday night, Sunday is actually an opportunity to show support for the team, playing in an empty stadium and demand change in how our club is being run. Folks, here's the details if you are attending the protest, which has been facilitated by the Celtic Trust and organised. There are some people, do not travel if you're from outside Glasgow. Please wear a face mask. Please stand two metres apart in marked spaces. Please follow the instructions from the stewards and please keep yourself and others safe. Well, folks, that's it for another episode. Enjoy the rest of the weekend. Last week, I said the pressure remains on Lenny every time Celtic take the pitch, and there's no change there, although there was some sunshine on Thursday night's performance. Let's hope Sunday evening, when full-time whistle blows, that there's more sunshine over paradise. We want to lend our support to musicians and songwriters out there who've been hit the hardest by the lockdown restrictions, with no gigs and no venues. So if any musicians or bands out there, send us in your material, we'll give you a plug, and we'll play it on each show. This week, folks, in protest, however, to Bon Jovi attempting a cover version of The Great Fairy Tale of New York, we will play out with Shane Kersey and the Pogues. And don't worry, kids, we won't let Bon Jovi ruin Christmas. So, folks, stay tuned, stay safe, and as always, keep the faith. Mm-hmm.
Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.